0: So if you have your Bibles, how many of you guys brought a Bible today? All right, that's better. That's good. Turn to your Bibles to two passages of Scripture. Say two passages. All right, I see I'm going to have to encourage myself today. Two passages of Scripture. Say two passages if you can hear me. All right, that's our normal thing. Go to Genesis chapter 4. It's right at the front of the Bible. And then find 1 Kings. You might have to go to the index. But 1 Kings chapter 17. There's a book that I read about uh, five years ago called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. I've recommended this to you many times. I hope that you'll get this and read this book and his sermons and his, his book. I mean, it's, there's no such thing as new truth. It's all old truth. But God has gifted certain people in a way to make something that can be complex to be extremely simple. So I want to thank him for that book. And the outline that I'm about to share today comes from a message that he's given. And I just thank God for his, uh, his witness in my life. But... 1 Kings chapter 17. Have you got it? Are you ready? We're going to start with that passage and go back to Genesis. Let's read the word of the Lord together. This is going to be a good message today. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, this is Elijah, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first. Everybody say, but first. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Can you imagine? I mean, just stop and let those words sink in from it. Can you even imagine? But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me, and afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And it's not on the screen, but listen. And she went and did. She did, as Elijah said. And she and her and her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord. That he spoke to Elijah. I want to talk to you today about the faith to put God first. Not faith in your faith, not faith in your own belief, but faith in God to put him first and what that means. If you will put God first in every area of your life, your whole life will come into order. If you don't put God first, your life will not come into order. Your family, your finances, your career, your job, your children, it will be out of order until God is first. It was Jesus himself who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Every person in this room would say, well, I want God to be first. I want God to be first. Okay, so let me see your checkbook. I mean, not really. I don't really want to see your checkbook. But, but it's a good question, because I know this, that your checkbook, your financial register is going to reveal what is in first place in your life. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I've never prayed for Chicago, ever. I've never prayed for that city. I've never thought about it much. But it just so happened a few months ago, my treasure moved there. And so I kind of pray about the weather in Chicago. I pray for that environment. My son has gone to college there. It's amazing how my piece of my heart gets attached to a place where my treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus also said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. So what is your expectation today as God's word is about to go into you? Do you want him to build your faith? Do you want to be blessed or do you want to be comfortable? Do you want to grow? And I know that your answer is an absolute yes today. Is that right? Oh, come on. Is that right? All right. It's going to be a good message. Get ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd speak to us so clearly this morning. Fill this room with expectation, with faith, with anticipation that the word of God will be good. The seed of it will go into good ground. There will be return. Empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit as one who loves you and loves your people today. And God, give us the faith to, to just do what your word says, as simple as it is, as profound as it is. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to work. There's an economic recession going on in Israel. Not that we can relate to that, it's hard. In fact, there's not going to be rain, there's going to be a drought that's going to last for three and a half years. It's not gonna rain for three years and a half. That means that everything's gonna dry up. It's, it's stuff's going to die. The economy is going to fail. The scholars believe that at the time of this story, when Elijah encounters this widow at Zarephath, it is about six and a half months into this period of time. And God sends this man of God to a woman, a widow. Her husband is dead and she has no other family with the exception of this one son. And this is all that she has the economy has affected her so profoundly that she believes now that she is about she's at the end of all of her resources, that she is now fixing and preparing her final meal. She's going to go out and gather the last bit of fuel for the last bit of flour and the last bit of oil to bake the last amount of food for her and her son, and after that, we have no other answers. And into that picture, God sends a man who says, I want you to provide for me first, and then take care of you and your son. I wonder if she didn't just, you know, turn her head, laugh, or turn, her, turn around or look at the ground or in some way just avert her gaze to say, this is crazy. This, this doesn't even make sense. What he, if, if he knew what he was asking of me, if he knew what he was really saying of me, there is no way I can do this. I wonder how many of you have been saying the exact same thing. As I've been sharing about the four, in the 40 days of faith and bringing this to the place in your life where it actually, the rubber meets the road, and it deals with your faith in God in the area of your provision, in the most important area of your life, where you really determine who is God, and whom will you worship, and whom will you thank. I'm wondering if some of you who, who have said, Darren, in this economy with what's going on in the world, you're asking me to bring 10% a tithe of my income into the house of God, into the church, and give that away, you must be crazy. I mean, you, if you knew my story, I mean, you must be crazy. That's exactly how this woman felt. You're in good company. I wonder why God would send the man of God to somebody who is a widow anyway. I mean, could he not have sent to somebody who had some resources, to somebody who, who had more, who had a lot. And why would he send Elijah to this widow to provide for his needs? It doesn't seem to make sense. And then you realize that that's the problem. That's not what's going on in the story. God did not send Elijah to this widow so that the widow could meet Elijah's need. You'll get, you'll, you're, are you getting this? God did not send this woman into his life to provide for him, God sent him into her life so that God could provide for her. This is better than your amen This is good. God is is about to do something in her life and he cares and, and she matters so much to him he alters the course of the man of God of that time, Elijah, and says, I want you to go find this woman at Zarephath. This is what people miss. She's about to die. Her son's about to die. Their resources are almost up and God gives her the opportunity to bring her finances into biblical order so that God can provide for her. He gives her that opportunity. He's giving her an opportunity for a miracle to happen. A lot of people have never seen a miracle. They would never know one if it bit them. They never get that they would ever see one because they never give God an opportunity for him to, have a, to do a miracle in their life. And how can you expect God to do a miracle if you've never aligned yourself to his way? He's told by the widow, you don't know what you're asking. I can't do this. We're going to eat our last meal and die. And he said, I know, but I want you to give to God first. And she would have had to have incredible faith in God to respond the way that she did. Not faith in herself, not faith even in this stranger, or even faith in faith. Do you understand that some of your problem, you say, I don't have enough faith for this, and it's if the, the miracle is predicated by how much faith that you have. And this is about faith in God and what he is able to do. She would have had to have incredible faith in God. Understand, I want you to realize this. God did not need her to provide for him. And Elijah did not need this woman. I want you to just go back a few verses in the same chapter that we read. God had a history of providing for Elijah long before this woman came along. Take a look at verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So before he ever encounters the widow, he's already got a pattern that God is supernaturally providing for him. Then he meets the widow. There's that little story. Keep reading in the book of 1 Kings a while. Check this out. Verse 5 of chapter 19. Behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he laid down again. This, by the way, is the first invention of angel food cake. It's just amazing. I love it. Before, God's providing for him. Afterwards, God is providing for him. He, he does, he, he's, he's provided for by the Lord. In fact, God is sending Elijah to her because she would have a great need. And God was going to supernaturally provide for her through a resource that she already had in her in her possession. This is so good. You're so quiet. <laughs> he was going to provide for her through what she already had, and so she responds. And you read the story. God supernaturally provides and says, so, "In fact, that which she has in her hand." Does not run out through the entire course of the economic crisis. She's provided for right to the end. But this is not even about economics. Because what, if you read the story in chapter 17, you go on into the next section of that chapter, her son dies. Her son just drops dead. An aneurysm. For some reason, the son cries out and he dies. And because she doesn't know what else to do, but she, she says, but I can call on Elijah. He'll know he is the man of God. And she calls. him. because of that providential relationship, he responds, comes back to her house. Check this out in the, in the chapter here in verse 21 of chapter 17. He goes in and he prays. He lays his hands upon this boy. And he prays three times. And he cries to the Lord, oh, my God, let this child's life come back to him again. Now, understand, she's got Nobody. This is is the only person she's got left. God let this child's life come back into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came back to him again, and he revived. Did God know that this boy was sick? Did God see this coming? Is this something that he looked ahead and loved this woman enough to begin to order everything in a certain way that God was going to blow her mind? God sends a man of God into her life, and it all begins with a test. You remember, tithing's a test. Here's the test. Will you put God first, and if you'll step out in faith, watch how I'm going to provide. This is what tithing brings. Tithing brings. You see, the principle of tithing runs all the way through the scripture, and what the the test of tithing is about is inviting two things, the provision and the protection of God into your life. That's what we learned about last week in the third chapter of Malachi, where it reads, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me, put me to the test, God says, and see if I won't bless you, if I won't pour out the windows of heaven upon you, that there will be so much that you won't even have room to contain it. That's God's provision. And then he says, and I will rebuke the devourer, which means that I'll I'll stop, I'll protect you. here's Here's what this is saying. If God said to you, you bring to me what belongs to me, bring me the tithe, and I will provide for you everything that you need and even more. I'll see you through all the way to the end and I will stand at the door of your house and keep Satan out. Would you tithe? Well, of course you believe that, but will you do it? Will, would, you, would you, do you actually, see, see a lot of people, I mean, it's the Bible. That's what the, what the Bible says to do. I, yeah, I believe it. But will you do it? And why don't we do it? Well, because it's human nature. There's some fear here. I don't know if I can actually do that because, the, you know, it's human nature to be scared. It's human nature to be afraid. It's human nature to hoard. It, it, I don't know if I can actually trust. And that's why this is a test of the heart after all. It's about your faith. Do you believe God at his word? And will you do what he says? It's difficult. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable, but again, do you want to walk by faith, or do you just want to stay where you're at? It is human nature. It takes faith to put God first. It takes faith to give God the first. It's, there's no faith involved in giving God one of the last, like he's giving you ten, and then you give him the last one. There's no faith required for that. The first is the principle. Well, you give God first. He goes, you know, these people in the Old Testament, it doesn't take any faith to give the 10th sheep. It takes faith to give the first one. It doesn't take faith to give the last, the leftovers. It takes takes faith to give God first, putting your trust in him to provide for the rest. And this scripture, uh, this principle is all the way through the scripture. And here's why we don't do this. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 4. And read you the story of the first two people that we know of in the Bible that struggled with this. It's the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. The two twin sons of Adam and Eve. A lot of scholars, a lot of theologians believe this. It's not for sure, but we can read right in the first verse why it seems to be obvious that these were two twin boys. Let's take a look in the first verse of chapter 4. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived... And bore, delivered Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore, she delivered again his brother Abel. It doesn't say that he knew his wife again and she conceived again. It just says that she conceived once and she bore, she delivered twice. Again, we don't know that for sure, but it's really powerful, and we understand something of the nature of this story. Abel was a keeper of sheep, he was a rancher, and Cain was a worker of the ground, he was a farmer. Look at this, verse 3. In the course of time, when he got around to it, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. But notice the difference. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord comes to Cain, and he says, hey, why are you so angry? Why is your face falling? If you do well, if you bring the offering the way I say, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, if you don't bring the offering the way I say sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. When you get hard-hearted with the instructions of God, when you begin to resist and and get that, that, that feeling, that desire, it wants to have you. It wants to take you over. And as it takes you over, it opens the door to all kinds of stuff for you that you would never imagine. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting, and that's exactly what happens to to Cain, right? Because, you know, he, he opens the door, uh, he, he's, re, or he's resisting, he gets rebellious, he starts to blame, and he starts to get bitter at his brother, and he's harboring all that. And the next thing you know, he's taking him for a walk and talking to him, and that just comes up, and rage flies, He kills his brother. I'm sure he never intended it, but it's exactly what took place. Now, there's no mystery to me at all in the Bible why God would regard Cain Offering with, uh, with contempt, and he would regard Abel's offering with blessing. Abel brings the firstborn. The scripture's so clear, and Cain didn't bring the first fruits. And here's what I want to ask why would Cain not bring the first fruits to God as was expected of him? It all goes back to the heart. I want to look at the contrast of the two hearts the heart of, of Cain and the heart of Abel. The first, the heart of Cain. Why? What's going on in Cain's heart, and how do you get this? Well, let's look at what the scripture says about Cain in another part of the Bible. In the book of Jude, uh, verse 11, there's there's only one chapter, and in verse 11 it says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, which is greed, to Balaam's error, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. Greed and rebellion, the two things that were in the heart of Cain. Greed and rebellion. This is why we. This is why we don't tithe. This is what stops us from bringing God the first fruits of our income because we want more. We don't want to give up. We're pursuing a lot and we don't want to give up. And uh, we want to do it our way. I want to do it my way. And. You know, this wasn't the first offering for these boys. In fact, they're not even boys. They're grown men at this point. They've got responsibilities. One's running a farm. One's running a ranch. They're grown men who have watched God, who've seen the example of their parents. And in the course of time, when when he got around to it, it says that Cain brings an offering to God, which he's basically saying, I'll bring what I want, whenever I want, and I'll do what I feel led to do. It's my decision. Which is exactly what I have heard as a pastor so many times throughout my life. Pastor, I'll just, I, I just do what I feel led to do. I don't feel like I'm under any obligation. I do what I feel led to do. And the only problem with that is God has told us exactly how we're supposed to give. This is, this is like, like me saying, I'll love my wife the way I feel led to love my wife. Problem? God has said it. Here's exactly how you're to love your wife. Or some of you, I'll give my husband the respect that I think that he deserves. Wrong, God has said specifically, you're to honor your husband this way. It's very specific, ladies, how you're supposed to honor your husband. Amen. (laughs) I got so much from that, that was, thank you. So when you say, I'll I'll just do what I feel led, I'll do what I want to do. I'll bring it whenever I feel like it. No one's going to tell me what to do. That, that's, you're, 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 you're encouraging your own heart of rebellion. It's the heart of Cain. And, and, and you know, he, what happens is you start to encourage that little rebellious heart. I've seen it. This is the pattern. A person starts to say no to God, to hold him off, and very slowly bitterness starts to come up in their heart because God's not blessing them. And then other people God's blessing them. He must love them more than he loves me. This is what happens with Cain. Instead of just, you know, you say, well, I'm not sure, Darren, that he actually knew. I mean, where does it say that he actually knew what God expected? Well, I think it's pretty clear. It's implied right there. But let's just say that you're right. Okay, I'll give you that. Let's just say that that you're right. God comes to him. and, And God says, hey, listen, Cain, come on now. I've told you how you're to do it why won't you come and give it to me in the way that I say it? If you do, won't you be accepted? Come on now. We can do this. Get it together. So God even comes to him and explains to him clearly what he is supposed to do. And what happens is is Cain just starts to harden his heart. And he starts to get a little bitter. And he starts to point towards his brother and say, as if all the bad things that are happening to me are because of him, which is exactly what people do i watch this. They start to close off God in these little areas, and before long, it's, well, they and this, and it's their problem, and here's the thing. Even if you're right and they're wrong and they hurt you, the Bible says if you treat them the right way, God's going to bless you. Amen to that, yes. God's going to bless you if you treat it the right way. But Cain just keeps harboring his heart. He gets more and more rebellious, and he closes off God. I'll do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. Now, listen, I want to be very clear. This is what the scripture teaches over and over and over and over again. It's not just some random verse. I want you to look at a few of these verses. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. Check this out. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Preach Darren Chesky. That was the best verse of the whole day. That's, exact, that's what people do. While God, he's not fair. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your produce, your income. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting. I mean, everything is gonna begin to overflow. And notice the word is honor. That's the idea. It's not about a legalism. Some of you are so cheap, you'll sit there and put 30, $3.75. That's my time. And it's like, you couldn't round that up to $35. You know, it's like, it's like that. You know, it's like, ah, that's a, it's as if it's some mechanical formula. Come on now, I'm rocking right in there where you guys live. It's about honoring God. God, I want to honor you with the first and the best. I'm going to meddle some more. Exodus chapter 23. Verse 19, the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. That should clear up what we are to bring and where we're to bring it in the story. It's that simple. But the question is, why do we resist that when God has been so clear that if you'll just put me to the test, see if I won't provide for you and I'll protect you. I want you to see the heart of Abel by contrast. Because Abel doesn't understand America today. He doesn't know anything about what's coming in the future. All he knows is he hears from God. God tells him to do something. He says, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm just going to do what you say. Check this out. How do you know the heart of Abel? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. It wasn't that he was so special over his brother. He just did what God said. It was more acceptable. He brought the firstborn through which he was commended as righteous, meaning he did the right thing. And God commended him by accepting his gifts, plural, which means, again, this happened many, many times. It wasn't just once. It was more than just one offering. And through... His faith, though he died, he still speaks to us today, right now. So he's a man of faith. By faith, he offers the firstborn. And again, it takes faith to put God first. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it doesn't take faith, you know, to pay all of your bills and then just kind of give God the leftover or do something that makes you feel good or when it comes in the course of your time. God says, it's like clockwork. God brings increase to you. You're to bring the first fruits to the Lord. God's saying, honor me first, and then let me show you my provision and my protection. Again, it's the same principle. It wouldn't have taken any faith for that woman to say to Elijah, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go make something for me and my son, and if there's any left over, I'll give that to you. No faith at all. So it's about the principle. It's about the heart here. What happens when we put God first? In our lives. And again, it runs all the way through the Bible. How about in the book of Joshua? A few weeks ago, we talked about Joshua leading his people right up to the edge of the promised land. And God is giving them instructions that they have to obey by faith. And he says, this whole land that I'm about to give you, here's what I want you to do. When you go in, it's all for you except for this one thing. Check this out. Verse 19, Joshua 6. He says, regarding Jericho... All of the silver, all the gold, every vessel of bronze, all the iron, it's all holy to the Lord. In other words, set it apart just for me. It'll go into the treasury of the Lord or the house of the Lord. How is that a verse about tithing? It's saying bring it all to God. It doesn't say 10% or anything. Oh, yes, it does. I got you here. Check check this out. Do you know how many cities there are that the children of Israel would have to conquer in order to take over the promised land? Yes. Ten. And so God's saying the first one. It's going to be for me. I'm going to test you in this, and the rest will all be for you. And as you follow me, watch me provide for you and watch me protect you. But that you will know that it is God that is going to fight your battles and not you. The first belongs to me. Amen, Darren. This is the word of the Lord. The first is his. Put me first. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. Genesis chapter 22. God comes to Abraham. And he says, I want you to give me your firstborn, the son of the promise. You need to understand, Abraham received a promise from God that said this. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You're going to have more descendants than the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. You can't count them. Abraham waits for 25 years, no answer from God, tries to figure it out a bunch of different ways, fails. And at the age of 100, God blows his mind and says, here's your son. God would come a year, a few years later, and he would say, all right, now I want you to give the first one back to me. Understand, God's given him a promise of a generation, and all he gave him was one. One son. And God says, now I want you to give this first one back to me. It struck terror into the heart of Abraham because he knew, are you asking me to sacrifice my son like I do these other offerings? That's exactly what I'm asking. So I want you to see what What Abraham's response is when God says, here's what I want you to do, because understand, Abraham doesn't have a clue, and it doesn't make any sense to him any more than it does to you why God would ask for a firstborn son. It makes no sense at all. But look at Abraham's heart. Check this out in verse 10, chapter 22. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. I mean, God said it, so okay. Okay. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. (laughs) You know, he said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Watch this. For now I know that you fear God, that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Everything in the Old Testament is a rep- represents something that's going to happen in the new. You can sit here today and look back and say, I think I understand what was going on. I think I see what was trying to be said here. I think there's a message for what would happen later on. I don't need to connect the dots for you, do I? What, what, what happens when a father gives his only son? God's up to something bigger in his story of salvation. But poor Abraham doesn't understand. But he's just willing to, I don't get it, God, but I'll just do what you say. And God says, wait, don't pick up the knife. Don't do anything. I've seen your heart. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up as the burnt offering instead of his son. Look, so Abraham named, called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And as it it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now, Now, listen. When he was willing to give his first to God, okay, right in the story, God provided for him and God protected. It's right there. God provided and God protected. God wants to supernaturally. Make you aware that there is a God in heaven and the way he lets you know that there is a God who cares about you is through two things. That he provides for you and he protects you in a way that's undeniable and you say, there must be God. And he wants to blow your mind. And until you're willing to put God first, you don't get to see God. This is empty religion to you, until you put God to the test. This is all the way through the scripture. That's why Jesus himself would say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do everything that's right. Because everything then will be added to you. But the heart of Cain says, mm, I don't going to have anybody tell me what to do. I'll do what I want, when I want. And there's this rebellious heart that goes on in it. The Bible says that, that Cain was offended. Isn't it interesting when people get offended with God, they never stop to consider the alternate view. <laughs> so people say, how could, a, how could God send, a loving God send somebody to hell? <laughs> yeah, what about the alternate view? What about that? Well, who could possibly reject a loving God? So there's an alternate view on this story. A- Abraham, or, I mean, Cain is offended, right? Well, have you stopped to consider that the alternate view of this story is that, that God was offended? God was offended. That's why God had no regard for his offering. What do you mean God's offended? It's a, it was important to God. It was important because here comes Cain saying, I'll, I'll do, I know you said bring the first, but I'll bring what I want, when I want, however I want. And so God was offended, he had no regard for it. Why is this such a big deal to God? Why does God care about the first? Because, you see, God is writing his story. His purposes are bigger than you. You're not God. You don't see all that God is doing. You don't understand every little thing. And so God is, sometimes he'll come to you and he'll say, this is what I need you to do, son. This is what I need you to do, daughter. And you say, well, I don't understand, so I'm not going to do with it. And God has no regard for that. (laughs) God was saying, I was up to something so much bigger. Because let me tell you why the first is such a big deal to God. It's because of what it would represent that, that God wrote the scriptures, the Old Testament, because of what they would represent for us today in the new, and our minds would be blown, and we'd see the, the handiwork of God all through salvation history. Look at these verses. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Or how about Colossians chapter 1, verse 15? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. God knew the firstborn and the first fruits would represent the sacrifice of his only son. Abel just hears the word, doesn't understand it all, but brings the first with a pure heart. Cain receives the same message, refuses to bring the first fruits and says, I'll do whatever I want when I want. And God says, I'm not going to accept that because you need to understand, son. I'm doing something that's bigger than you. There's going to come a day when I am going to give my first fruits and my firstborn to you. I want to just paraphrase the verse you all know. Every person in this room knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only his his first his firstborn his first fruits his highest and his best offering for the whole world. God would do this in faith because Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us this, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we're sinners, that while we're put, giving God the, the, the cold shoulder, while we're resisting him, while we're saying, I don't really care about God, God would give his firstborn, his firstfruits. He would die for us in advance. Jesus is God's tithe. Isn't that, isn't that blow your mind? That's what God was after all along, that he was going to give first his one and only son by faith with the hope that one day every person would come and bow their knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are God. You are first in everything. This is so much bigger than just you. I wish you could get this principle. I wish you could see how important this is. I wish you could get past yourself. I wish you could see that, that you're, you're the one that's holding God off. That God doesn't need you. This isn't even about providing for his church. Because Jesus said, I'll build my church. Gates of hell won't be able to withstand against it. God has had no trouble taking care of his church. He has no trouble taking care of me. He had no trouble taking care of his work. I'm a living witness of that. But this is about you. And an invitation where you would allow God entrance into your heart. Where you'd say, God, I, I guess if I think about it, I've always, it's always been about me. I'm thinking, I've got to provide for me, and I've got to protect me and mine. See, this strikes to the heart of every man in this room, and every woman, and every boy and girl as well, and God wants to get you off your self-sufficiency, and really your idolatry, and say, God, you will be my God. I will, I will demonstrate that I'll put you first, and I'll trust you to protect me. I'll trust you to provide for me. And see, I wish you'd get this as your pastor. I want this for you so much. I want you to move yourself past your self-sufficiency to total dependency on God where your faith just begins to soar. And yes, it's scary. And yes, it's difficult. But you start to grow and your spiritual life comes alive and you see God show up. And you'll never be the same because this is what God wants for you, not from you. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Study this for yourself, search it out. The principle of giving God the first, of seeking God first, of, of honoring Him first, of, of by faith, putting Him first, trusting Him for your provision and for your protection to invite His blessing into your life. And ultimately, this isn't even about just you. See, because God's still writing His story Because the purpose of the church on earth is to bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason why we're here, the reason why we're still here, is to demonstrate that Jesus is alive. He's real. His his message needs to go out to all those who are far from God. The entire world still needs to hear that while you're still sinful, God has not rejected you. But God loves you, and he died for you, and he gave himself first so that you could, first, you could now come to him and respond. And that's why you hold in your hand these little pieces of paper, because in the end of the day, there's only two things that are going to last forever. Everything's going to burn up. All your toys, your money, the house, it's all going to be gone, and two things will last forever, the word of God and people, in one place or another, heaven or hell. And God would send this message out. He would say to you, give yourself to things that will last so into eternity Get busy praying and thinking about people who are far from God. And if you'll do that, if you'll put his kingdom first, God is going to show himself and reveal himself to you. And you'll never be the same. I want to pray for you. And as as, as we close today, the application is to take those little post-it notes and actually move past everything else and land on this. Write the name, the first name, who's far from God. You might even write your own name. Post it on the wall today and say, Jesus, I know I'm far from you, but uh, today I'm coming back. And some of you need to write your kids' names and your neighbors' names and your co-workers' names. And as an act of worship to God today, as you leave, you just put it on the wall and say their name and pray. Maybe you stick 10 of them. I expect to see hundreds of names around this auditorium. Back wall, side walls. And over the next few weeks, by faith, we're praying, God, have your way in the lives of people. According to your faith, it will be done to you, says the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will rise something within us, a deep hunger to obey you and to follow you and to serve you and to trust you. God, I, by faith, I pray for these men and women, that are these boys and girls whose names are being written on these walls. I pray, that, Lord, that you would make them aware of you, that you would use us, Lord, to be your body, to be your hands and feet in their lives. And I ask you by faith to provide. Lord, as we put you first, God, let that be seen by everybody. And may it be powerful. May there be a great witness of your saving, your transforming presence in our lives. For the one who would say in this room, I'm far from you, I pray that you draw them to you, Lord. Let them know that you're real. May they simply say, God, I confess to you I'm a sinner and I'm sorry And I humble myself before you. You be God today. I've heard about you. I've grown up knowing about you. But I'm far from you. Forgive me. I change directions. I'll start following you from this day forward. You say, yes, God, that's me. And I'm praying for you today. Yes, God, that's me. Heavenly Father, have your way in our lives. I ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.